Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you all. My name's Kenny. If we haven't met yet, I hope to meet you today. Um, man, it's just so good to worship together and to sing about love um, that Jesus came and rescued us. Anyone happy about that? Yeah. Amen. And uh, we got summer today. It's a little bit muggy this morning. I, I'm from Arkansas. I felt right at home when I got out of my car this morning. It's like, man, this feels good. So I'm, I'm used to this. Um, so we're going to talk about missional rhythms today. But uh, right off the bat, I just want to like acknowledge like what in the world is a missional rhythm? Like that kind of sounds like like some Christianese like like discombobulator widget, like anyone feeling me? Like missional rhythm? Like, okay, what's that? All right, so missional, first of all, is the reason we talk about being missional is because in the story of the Bible, God is on a mission. Amen? God is on a mission, and Tom talked about this last week, to bless the world through his people, to save people, to restore, to heal brokenness. God is on that mission, and that when Jesus comes on the scene, he's here on a rescue mission, and, and John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then it says, the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us. The message version says he moved into the neighborhood. And then we got to see the glory of God. Jesus came on a rescue mission to show us what God is really like. And then before he left, he said to his disciples, he said this, As the Father sent me, so send I you. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And he tells us, go out and make disciples. Tell people about me. Tell people this good news. So we talk about being missional because God is missional. So we're missional. Cool? Is that de-discombobulated a little bit? Right? So the rhythm part, um, that clearly means you have to be able to play drums in order to be part of this church. Um, I'm a drummer. And, you know, we've got a few others, and uh, that's not the point. Um, but what, what do we mean by rhythms? We're talking about what are the things that you're already naturally doing, right? So this mission of God can, can sound kind of weird. It can say, wait, I have to add 10 more things to my already busy schedule beyond work and beyond getting home and cooking and beyond taking care of the kids and whatever that else. I've got to add, like, I'm not doing enough. No, what we want to talk about is not adding, not additional things to your life, but intentional. The things that everyone in every culture is already doing. For, for instance, everyone eats. Anyone here not eat? Okay, no hands, all right. Um, everyone eats. So how can eating be part of this mission of God that God sent us on? Everyone celebrates. How can celebrating be a part of this mission that God has sent us on? So we're talking about, um, and God may do, God may call you to additional things. He may call you to a people or a place or a nation. But for this series, what we're talking about, and in the summer, which is a great time to uh, make new relationships and, and, and kind of venture out into this mission of God in, in San Diego when we have the nice weather and we got the beaches and there's all sorts of stuff to do. The reason we're talking about this series is saying, how can we look at the things that we're already doing and say, what is a, how does the gospel bring good news to that, and how can we share that with other people? 
right? So the rhythms we want to talk about today are celebrating and suffering. Celebrating and suffering. How can Christians celebrate whether it's going to a party or a birthday or a meal night with your GCM, how can Christians celebrate in a way that remembers the goodness of God and that points other people to the goodness of God? And then suffering. How can Christians, when we endure suffering, although no one wants to endure suffering, when we do go through suffering, how can we go through it in a way that holds on to the hope that Jesus gives us? That doesn't, and it points people to that hope. Is this, is this tracking? What, is it, what does it mean to, to, to celebrate in that way and to suffer in that way? Because because we have opportunities to show people the love and the grace of God. Amen? So about uh, five years ago, um, I moved into a house uh, with a group of people, and we nicknamed it the crate. Um, yeah, how many have heard of the crate? Yeah. <laughs> um, and how many have lived at the crate? There was a lot of roommates, so it's like half the room raises their hand. No, but uh, several of you have either lived there or been there or been a part of that story. But when we moved there, the goal was it was a group of people, and we said, we want to move into this place and be a community that becomes a bright spot in the neighborhood, right? We want to bless people and, and celebrate in a way that shows the goodness of God. We want to, we want to find ways to serve in this neighborhood. And uh, so we found this house, and God just kind of orchestrated it real quick, and, and we got in there. And not long after we got there, um, we found out that that house had a dark history. We were wanting to be like this bright spot in the neighborhood, but we found out like from one of the neighbors just randomly um, that, that, um, that that house was, you know, used to be just full of graffiti, used to be just random people would go there to do drugs, used to be like boarded up. People would complain about it all the time. And the worst thing was that someone was even killed there. A teenager had been killed there on New Year's Day a few years before. And I remember the night that we found out, and it was like, uh, what did we move into, right? This is dark, this is spooky, this is serious. We were like, what is going on? But at the same time, it was like, hey, we know God has a bigger plan for us living here than just that the rent was cheap, right? And now we know why the rent was cheap. But, but God... God has a bigger plan for, I mean, I, I, we, we saw it kind of coming together. And so we start celebrating. We have meal nights. We have barbecues. We had an open house. And we invited the whole neighborhood to come by and basically meet us so that we could say, you know, this is what we're doing. And um, we had people over for meal nights. And we had to get extra tables because the meal nights kept getting so big. We wanted everyone to sit at the table. And then, and then we, did, we did Easter egg hunts for the kids. And we did... Uh, um, we started doing movie nights in the summer and uh, because we had a big yard and it was like, God had blessed us with this yard. How do we bless other people with that? And so we started, we had a projector and a sound system and we did movie nights. And one of those days that we were going to have a movie night, um, none of us were home except Kenny Kay. And uh, uh, sorry to just like directly point at you. I just saw you there. But Kenny was there and a, and a woman knocked on the door and they strike up a conversation and come to find out this is the woman whose daughter had died in our house. 
And she said, you know, they talked a little bit and she said, you know, obviously she had been grieving, but she said, I've never been, I've never brought myself to be able to come to this place. I've seen it. I've driven by on the freeway. You could see our house on the freeway. But I just, I felt like I needed a, I felt like I could come back. And so Kenny strikes up a conversation with her and tells her about a little bit about our group and what we're doing. And, and, you know, we're wanting to bless this neighborhood and we're actually having a movie night tonight. And he invited her and she shows up. She comes and she brings her son with her. And they get to see our community you know, people that live there, people that don't live there, people from the neighborhood, just having fun, watching a movie together, and, and enjoying snacks and whatever else. And, and there wasn't some, you know, I didn't have some huge, amazing, amazing, like, conversation with her, but I do know that she got to see just a glimpse and just a picture, a beautiful picture of the redemption that our God brings. And how did that happen? Because we were intentional about celebrating God's goodness. And because of that, we, we were able to be just a little bit of, of, of a part of her suffering. A little glimpse that says, hey, God redeems even the darkest places. Amen? Isn't that a beautiful picture? And so today, when we're talking about these missional rhythms of celebrating and suffering, and what does it look like, what does Christian celebration look like, and what what does Christian suffering look like, and how can we do that in a missional way? Like, does that mean just, you know, saying Jesus a lot at our parties? (laughs) Uh, It's Christian celebration. Happy birthday. Jesus. (laughs) 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 Or, or... Uh, you know, what is, in Christian suffering is it like, hey, hey, you know, I know things are hard, but you got to have the victory. You know, God's on the throne and God's in control and let's, you know, let's get through this. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully that, that's not how we look at Christian celebration and Christian suffering. But I think it's that Christians celebrate to remember God's goodness, to remember how good this kingdom is that we've been brought into. Right? And that when we face suffering, our goal is to face suffering holding on to the hope we have in Jesus so that we can extend those things to others. God's goodness that we celebrate and His hope that we hold on to. Because if we don't do that, on the one hand, celebrating, celebrating is about remembering. You guys know that? Anytime you have a celebration, Almost any time. It's about remembering. Uh, how many celebrated the 4th of July? Yeah? Okay. Somehow. Did you have a barbecue? Okay, yeah. And then uh, when the sun went down and the sky got dark, did anything happen in the sky? Like, was... Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, what was that about? What were those little, like, explosions in the sky? Why on earth would we do that? It's okay, we can talk. We can t- celebrating what? Okay, and we're remembering what? <laughs> the bombs that went off in the war where we got our independence, right? So there's this picture of this is a celebration, but it has an aspect of remembering. When you're celebrating a birthday, you're remembering the day you were born. Okay, yeah. <laughs> When you're celebrating anniversary, it's the happiest day of your life, right? (laughs) Spouses, right? Celebration is about remembering, and 
Christians are meant to remember God's goodness when we celebrate. How good God has given us life. But when we forget that, we, we will either be celebrating to forget or forgetting to celebrate. Ce- celebrating to forget is, what do I mean by that? That's the, hey, I'm going to party Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, so I forget that I have to go to work on Monday, Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, <laughs> the other days, right? I guess Friday. <laughs> or it, it's, it's um, you know, I'm not, not going to have a drink in moderation. I'm going to drink, I'm not going to drink to remember God's goodness. I'm going to drink to forget my problems. Oof. <laughs> no, so they're celebrating to forget if we're not remembering God's goodness. And then there's just forgetting, plain old forgetting to celebrate. Not remembering to see in the, in the everyday to see how has God blessed me today? Where have I seen the evidences of his grace today? And on the other side with suffering, suffering makes us think about what's important. How many know that? You can't go through suffering without asking the big questions, right? Is God there? Why? Why did this happen to me? No matter what kind of suffering it is, we ask these big questions. But for Christians, because of the gospel, we have this hope, this incredible hope during suffering that we have the opportunity to hold on to. But when we don't do that, we despair. And we, we grieve as those who have no hope, the New Testament says. But we do have hope, right? And if we don't hold on to that hope, how are we going to extend that hope to the people around us who don't know Jesus? Does that make sense? Right? So we'll either despair or we'll just we'll overlook suffering. And we'll kind of have this culture of like, hey, you got to have the victory. God's good. God's on the throne. I know that was really hard, but let's, let's just praise through it. Right? And that happens. And that's not making a space for people to suffer. That's not making a space to say, hey, suffering is real, and yet we have real hope. So how can the celebrations that we go through in everyday life, whether it's a party or or whatever it is, or how can the times that we face suffering, because all of us will, even though we don't want to, and we better not ignore it if we're going to have hope for the world, right? How can we have hope when we face suffering? And it's when we see, it's when we begin to see Jesus in the center of our celebrations and with us in our suffering. Does that make sense? When we see Jesus in the center of of both our celebrations and our suffering. So, I want to look at the scriptures, because we like to preach those here. And I want to look at John 2. I want to look at two scenes of Jesus at a celebration and in the middle of suffering from the Gospel of John. And uh, we're going to start in John 2. If you want to turn there with us, it'll be with us on the screen. And then we're going to go to John 11 a little bit. Um, But... The Gospel of John has these, has these, uh, describes these seven signs. They're miracles that Jesus did that displayed his glory and showed what his kingdom would be like. And, and I, I think it's interesting to note that the first sign that the Gospel of John records, the miracle that Jesus did that kicks off his ministry, is uh, turning water to wine. 
right? Which is everybody's favorite miracle, right? <laughs> Not everyone, right? No, so he turns the water into wine, and you know he's at a wedding. He's at a wedding celebration. Well, the seventh sign that the Gospel of John records is when he raises Lazarus from the dead, and he's at a funeral, right? And so I think it's fitting for us, when we're talking about how should we celebrate and suffer as Christians, let's look at what Jesus did when he was at a wedding and Jesus at a funeral. Is that all right? So John chapter 2, verse 1 on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? And I, I like to comment, that was a term of endearment, not a term of disrespect. Uh, uh, it's not woman. No, it's woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone, jar, uh, stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is God's word. Anyone else ever wonder why was this Jesus' first miracle? I, I, I've wondered before, because it just seemed kind of random. Like, it's, it's cool, and I know it shows his power, but what, uh, why was this his first miracle? And why did it say when the disciples saw this, they believed in him? Right? And, and we'll, let's look in a little bit of the history and the, the backstory of this passage. Jesus is at a wedding, the greatest, basically the greatest celebration that we really have in almost any culture. Would you agree? Right, where families come together, it's exciting, it's, it's, it's just a great time to celebrate. And it was in his culture too. And in his culture, a wedding celebration would go on for seven days. Right? So first of all, I want to say Jesus didn't do this miracle so that everyone could get sloshed. <laughs> right? Be because the celebration was supposed to go for seven days. And even more than that, supplying the wine was the family's sacred duty to supply the wine, and if they ran out of wine, it's not like, oh yeah, just head over to BevMo, you know, they're open till nine, right? No, this is like, it's not just a small embarrassment, or like, a, it, it, this is a humiliating for their family, and, and, and you, you know, you think uh, things like hunt you around on Facebook, like, in their, in their small town for the rest of their life, hey, remember so-and-so's wedding? <laughs> yeah. They ran out of wine on the second day, right? It's, it's going to be a stain to their, to their name, right? So when Jesus comes here and does this miracle, it's more than um, just doing a favor. It's more than just the miracle. It's a picture of the kingdom of God that he came to announce. 
It's a, it's a picture of what life is like with Jesus. You see, the family comes with their lack, with their need, with their not enough, with this, this is going to be humiliating. And yet Jesus comes, he says, meet me with your need and, and I'll meet you with my abundance. Meet, meet me with your not enough and you'll find out that I'm more than enough. Meet me, with, meet me with your humiliation and I will bring dignity and grace to you that you don't deserve and can't pay back. Does that sound familiar to anyone? That's the kingdom of God that we've been invited into. That when we come to Jesus and, and we, we lack, we're not enough. He's more than enough. When we're weighed down by sins that humiliate us, he just lavishes grace on us. Gallons and gallons of grace. <laughs> For the whole celebration. And it's not just that leftover stuff, yeah. No, the guy says, you saved the best until now. Jesus says, yeah, those jars used to be used to clean yourself for ceremonial washing, the old covenant. And now, no, now they're used for celebrating the new covenant. This is the kingdom that he's called us into. And, and that's the type of kingdom that Jesus came to announce, and that's the type of kingdom that we live in. And what was his attitude when Jesus went to celebrate? It was to bring the better wine. It was to make the party better and to make it about God's goodness. That's what we're called to do when we celebrate. That's what we're called to do in, in small ways throughout the week, in big ways we're called to make the party better and to remember God in our celebration. We're not called to make ourselves clean to get to God, but Jesus gave his life to make us clean before God, to forgive every sin and to give us life. Amen? And so we celebrate we love life. Christians ought to be known for loving life. Can I get an amen on that? Well, we got a bad rap. <laughs> and we've contributed to it a little bit. But, but Jesus is here on the scene to say, God is not a cosmic killjoy who doesn't like fun. God created fun. <laughs> For us to enjoy and for us to be reminded of Him. Amen? And us as Christians, we should be known as the life of the party. I'm saying in the good way. Right? Not in the, not in the celebrate to forget way. In the celebrate to remember way. People ought to think, man, I thought I was just going to a birthday. And yet they sat down and they just talked about what they loved about that person. And what they saw in their life that reminded them of God. That was beautiful, right? That happened like two weeks ago. I was talking to Tom and Shannon and, and their group. Making sense? Amen. So that was the first sign, Jesus at a wedding. And now let's go to the seventh sign, which is in chapter 11, Jesus at a funeral, where Jesus joins suffering with hope. If you want to, you can turn with me. Uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to read the whole chapter because I know y'all got to get lunch. Right? 
some point today? I wish I could, but maybe you can read through it afterward. But in this scene, Jesus, so Jesus has uh, friends, uh, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and their siblings, and Jesus loves them. They're close friends. They're in close relationship. Lazarus gets sick. Jesus is out of town with his disciples. Martha and Mary send word and say, Lazarus is sick, would you come? And Jesus, out of town in verse 4, says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then we fast forward. He has a conversation with his disciples. He eventually travels to the town where they are. But by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. And Lazarus has been dead for four days, right? And when he comes to the town, Martha runs to greet him. Um, verse 21, we have it on the screen. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So there's this sense of, well, yeah, I know there's hope eventually. I know. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's a little bit of a challenge. (laughs) Actually, it's a lot bit of a challenge for Jesus to look at someone who is mourning the death of their brother and to say, to say what he says and then says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So already we see Jesus bringing hope into the situation, not despair. Right? I'm going to skip a few verses for time's sake to verse 33 through 37. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Do you guys see that even right there, we see a picture of them asking the big questions? Hey, if Jesus is so great, why couldn't he have done something to prevent this? Has anyone ever asked those kind of questions when we go through suffering? Like, God, I know you're good and I know you're loving, but how? This doesn't make sense. And we, we may not have the answers for that. And no one, I will tell you, has just easy answers for that. There is not an easy answer for that. But there is truth and there is hope. And what we see from Jesus is that he brings that hope to the situation. But the other thing that we see is what was his response? He wept. He wept with them. 
He was deeply moved. He was troubled in spirit. He didn't say, hey, don't worry, God's on the throne. And he knew what he was about to do. Do you see that? Why, why would Jesus weep when he knows what's going to happen? Exactly. Because he felt that suffering. Because he's not a robot. Jesus was not an emotionless robot. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've imagined him that way. I, I, he, you know, he just goes in, he shows up, he does a miracle, and then moves on to the next place. That was not Jesus. Jesus felt. Jesus celebrated at the weddings, and when he was at a funeral, he cried. Because suffering is real. Bad things are still bad, but hope is real too. And the hope we have is real. It's not sentimental. It's not flimsy. Oh, things will get better. Oh, things will work out. No, it's things are bad. And yet, God is going to redeem everything. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Because if you do, you can't let yourself go off into despair. Because you have hope. Amen? Amen? He wept. Jesus is moved by suffering. Like Jesus, when we suffer, when we go through suffering, when it's, whether it's a death or a loss, or we lost our job and we can't get another one, or we're in pain, or we have illness or disease, or whatever type of suffering that it is that we may go through, We should still hold on to the hope we have. Not be lost in despair. And on the other side, we should not minimize this, our own suffering or the suffering of other people. We should not say, hey, just get over it. Just celebrate. God's in control. We need to make room for people to suffer. What does it look like to, to suffer missionally? It, it means suffering with other people. And yet, being in that tension of like, there's hope. There's hope. This isn't the end. This isn't all that there is, just suffering. Extending that hope to others, extending that space to others, just like Jesus did. And I want to ask this morning, what would it look like if we as a church, if we in our gospel communities really got a hold of this? What would it look like if if we begin to see Jesus at the center of our celebrations, if we begin to have this attitude of, I want to bring the, the better wine. I want to make the party better. I want to bless people and remember God's goodness in the celebrations that I go through in life. Or I want to be there to suffer with people and to just stand in solidarity with them and yet not, not let them go into despair, but keep holding on to the hope we have in Jesus. What would it look like? Well, all of a sudden you see GCMs are looking for opportunities to celebrate together. Like I said earlier, whether it's a birthday or whatever it may be, the, the dates that are important to your people and just celebrating one another and what God has done in each other's lives. 
Or all of a sudden we look, we look for opportunities to, to throw a party and invite our, neighbor, uh, our neighbors to or our neighborhood, whether it's once a season or whatever it may be, to create that kind of rhythm of celebration. I remember one time um, I was our, uh, we had a community around an apartment complex in North Park, the 4010. A few of you guys were part of that. And our group had dwindled down to four Men. That was that was our that was our gospel community. It was not like a big group. Like when we got together, it was like just four of us. And uh, we're like, we're gonna throw a barbecue for this for for our little complex. And we invited everybody, and and they showed up. And we you know we cooked. Tyson, of course, was cooking. I think he brought his grill. And uh, uh, we were just having this party. And there's a 15 year old kid who lived up above us, and he was there, and he lived there his entire life with his dad, and he, in the middle of us eating and just kind of enjoying the time together, he said, no one's ever done this. This is awesome, <laughs> right? So then the, our neighbor said, hey, are we going to do another one? And so we set a date, and we did another one. By the third time, they were asking me, hey, when are we going to do another barbecue? <laughs> it was not our group putting it on. It was them, and the guy who lived above us went to the, the commissary and got all the meat, <laughs> He brought the food, right? What would it look like if we in our groups and us individually began to celebrate because of what God's already done? If we began to celebrate and invite other people into this celebration because, hey, this kingdom is amazing. God's grace is flowing. And I want to share that. Does that make sense? We'd find ways to celebrate the small things too, not just the big things. Some, some of our groups already do evidences of grace where we sit around the table and say, hey, where, is, where has God been working in your life recently? You know, my wife and I will do highlights and lowlights at the end of the day. And she'll ask me, so what were your highlights and lowlights from today? Or she'll just say highlights, lowlights. <laughs> and then I'll talk about like, where I saw God at work, like where I felt God's love, or I'll talk about where I really wasn't sensing God. <laughs> where I needed God more. And it's, even that's a small way of not, forget, not, um, not forgetting to celebrate the goodness of God, but remembering, like, God's good, and he's done some amazing stuff. Like John said earlier, he has blessed you bountifully. And then on the suffering side, what, what, what would it look like for us as a church, for us as Christians to suffer well, to not suffer with no hope, but to suffer with the hope that we have. And, and what would it look like for us to create a space for people to grieve? What would it look like, like so many of you do, to, to put together, like when someone's going through loss, to say, hey, let's take them a meal and let's schedule it out so they don't have to worry about that. Let's just bless that family for, for a week or for two weeks or whatever it is to bless and encourage and help shoulder that burden together. And what would it be like for us to extend that to other people? Or to maybe be the person at work that goes to your boss and says, hey, when someone's going through something, can I volunteer to like, talk to them? Can you point them to me? I've got a group in my church that would love to make meals for them. Or just to pray with people and pray for people as they suffer. And in doing that, we're creating that space for people, whatever it is that they're dealing with whether it's loss, whether it's struggling with mental illness, whether it's related to their health, whatever it is, that we would suffer well in a way that holds on to the hope we have in Jesus. 
Amen? That's, that's what it means to celebrate and suffer in a missional way. That's what it means to celebrate in a way that remembers how good God is. And yet we don't just hang out there. We also acknowledge, hey, this world is broken and there is suffering. And yet we have hope. That's the kind of church this city needs. Do you guys know that? That's the kind of celebrating and suffering the people in your lives need to see. Amen? Amen. That's a beautiful picture to me of what it means to live out this rhythm of whenever we do celebrate and whenever we have to face suffering that, that we would hold on to hope and we would remember God's goodness. But how many know that we fall short in that? I do. I, I forget to celebrate and I end up at the end of the week with less joy than when I started. You guys know? <laughs> Don't make me feel lonely up here. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to focus on the next problem to fix than, than to realize that God has fixed our greatest problem and invited us into this kingdom and, and given us a hope of eternity with Him. It's easy to celebrate in a way that's trying to forget or get away from the struggles and yet instead of remembering how good God is in the midst of struggles. And it's easy when we suffer to just to go to despair. To be like Martha and say, oh yes, I believe that. Your brother will rise again. Oh yeah, I believe that. And yet Jesus has to push harder and say, no, do you believe this? Do you believe I'm the resurrection and the life? Because if you believe it, it doesn't mean the pain goes away, but it means you have hope. Hope that goes beyond the pain. Hope that goes beyond the disappointment. Amen? And I know I'm talking to people who have gone through suffering, and yet I also know I'm talking to people who have experienced that hope. Amen? But for all the times we fall short, what I fall back to is this. For all the times I don't keep Jesus at the center of, of, my, of my suffering or my celebration, I, Jesus, Jesus kept me and he kept you at the center of his suffering so that he could celebrate with you. Jesus was willing to go to the cross and endure that suffering for you and for me so that he could celebrate with you and with me forever. Hebrews 12 says that, that he, let's, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy that was set before him. And that joy was you and I being reconciled to God. And living in his kingdom forever. Amen? Amen. So may that news warm our hearts today. May it fill us with joy and gratitude. And, and, and may the celebrations that we go into, whether it's this week or this month or this year, may we go into it with the intent of remembering how good God is and inviting other people into that. 
of making the party better. And if we face suffering, and if we're facing suffering even now, may we go into it with the intent and say, Jesus suffered for me, but now he's celebrating for me. And that's the proof that I will do it too. Even though I'm suffering now, I will celebrate again. Amen? And may we celebrate and suffer in ways that bless the people around us, in ways that bless this city that we're called to in which we're doing everyday life, that we would be a bright spot in people's lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, just for this time to gather together uh, around your word. Um, Jesus, I thank you so much that, um, that you gave us a beautiful example of, of just doing everyday life with, with God at the center. And yet, Lord, you're not just our example, you're our hope. God, because we're broken and we fail, and yet you are so good to us. Your, your love for us overflows. Your grace for us overflows. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the many stories. I told like two, but just the many stories already of celebration that have happened in this church and suffering with hope that has happened in this church. And God, I pray that we would grow in a culture of celebrating you. And when we have to face suffering, that we would not lose hold of you or the hope that you give us, but help us to be a hopeful people. Help us to be a celebrating people. Help our, our communities, Lord, to be filled with celebration and life because you have filled us with life. Lord, I pray that you would set us free to do that today. Encourage us and empower us, Holy Spirit to respond to your grace in a way that gives you glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen.